Good morning. I haven't quite known what to say all day. Feels odd saying Merry Christmas. I found myself saying Merry Post Christmas. That sounds dumb too, but I think y'all understand what I mean. If you have your Bibles today, I ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We've been looking over the last few weeks at the songs of Luke. Luke kind of frames his narrative of the birth of Jesus around four songs, and we're looking this week at the last one, rightfully so, coming after Christmas because it's the song that came after Jesus was born. Now, as Kevin has said, this is the, the last Sunday of this year. Anytime you come to that, you have some sense of, I do, a little sense of, of um, kind of awe of how God works and moves, thinking through of the fact, just some solemnness of the fact that you just passed through a year. We'll never get that year back. And you're reminded how precious time is again. And thinking of the excitement also of the future. And so we're looking into 2022 excited, hopefully, about what God will do then. So today as we gather together, as we look with this passage, we just want to spend a few times in God's word as Kevin has already led us well to consider how good and gracious God has been to us. We just want to spend a little time in his word this morning to be reminded of not only who Jesus is, he was the son of God born to us, but also what he came to do. And then finally, in the end, the fact that he has come once for us, and we celebrated that yesterday, but we're going to celebrate this morning the fact that he will come again for us. And so God's graciousness now in allowing us the privilege to gather together on this day and read his word together. I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21, and I'm going to read through verse 35. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21, and read through verse 35. We pick up at the end of the shepherd's coming and then returning back, glorifying God, having seen the baby. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. 
and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather together around it. Just as we have sung, Father, you have been faithful and true to us. We look back over this year, and we're only reminded over and over again of your faithfulness, God. And God, as we look forward to the year to come, may we look forward with anticipation of what you will do. So prepare our hearts, our lives, even now, God, to be used by you for your glory as we look today to your word. God, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the gift you have given us in him. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Verse 21 of Luke chapter 2 picks up just as we finished the story telling us that Mary is going to fulfill, Mary and Joseph are going to fulfill their duties as good Jewish parents. Most likely born in Bethlehem, staying there for some time because of the rituals that would have to take place whenever the first child was born. Here the first child being born, on the eighth day they would enter into Jerusalem and there they would be circumcised, marking him as a part of the covenant family of God. Circumcision going back to the promises given to Abraham. He would come under this and he would be circumcised. And so here we see that just eight days after the birth, they fulfill this Jewish ritual of naming Jesus and him receiving his circumcision. Remember, we saw this with John. Whenever John was born and his father, Zechariah, couldn't speak because he didn't believe at first. But whenever eight days had passed, they took him to be circumcised. And what took place on that day was the name was given. That name John was given. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, as they named John that day, it was a special moment because it testified to their belief in who this child was. For the angel said, his name shall be John. And though that's not a family name, no, it, though it didn't flow or make much sense to everybody else, Zechariah wrote on his little tablet, his name is John. And immediately, immediately he was able to speak. It testified to his belief. This was an important point. Names were important to these people. Names were symbolizing of who they are and, and what they are to do. It was carrying on the family line. So as we come to this passage, we see just this quick statement in Luke chapter 2 that at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. Now, the angel had told Mary and Joseph what his name would be. He told them separately. In Matthew's gospel, we find out that the angel came to Joseph in a dream. And the angel told Joseph, don't divorce her. The child in her womb is from God. And you shall name him Jesus. And he says, you shall name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In the very name that was given and told to Joseph, Jesus, it testifies to not only who he is, but also what he would come to do. Now, this is important for us this morning. It's important because it's important that we know who Jesus is. And really, as we come to Christmas, it's real easy for us to do that, to focus in on who he is. In fact, when we read Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel has been very clear about who this baby is at this point. If you look back in chapter 1, whenever the angel comes to Mary, in verse 31, he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. 
He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne from the father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will be no end. This tells exactly who this one is. This is the Son of God, and he will be the king on the throne. That's who he is. He will be great. It tells us up in John's gospel, it's been very clear about who this baby is, who this Jesus is. But at the same time, we're going to learn what he will do. Now, as I said, in Matthew's gospel, he testifies it with the name, Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. But up until this point in Luke's gospel, we haven't seen or really heard what this Jesus will do, what this baby will do. But this is, as I said, vitally important. This is what we call the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's not only important that we know who he is, but we also know what he has done for us. Not only do we know who he is, but what he has done. In fact, this is so vitally important that you must know the person and work of Jesus Christ in order for you to be saved. In order for you to be saved from your sins, you not only have to know who he is, you also have to know what he has done for you. In fact, in Romans chapter 10, it says this explicitly. He says, if you confess with your mouth who Jesus is, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. These two things together, confessing that he is Lord, who he is, and believing that he's been raised from the grave, what he has done, those are the things we must know about Christ in order to have salvation. And so throughout the gospel here, it is vitally important as Matthew has done and now Luke is going to do, he's going to make clear that this one who is born of Mary and Joseph laid in a manger in a stable, this is the son of God and he, he will save his people from their sins. That's what he's going to do. And up until this point in Luke's gospel, we've been clear about who Jesus is. Now in our story this morning, we're going to discuss, Luke is going to point out to us what he has come to do. What he has come to do. They name him Jesus. Jesus simply means the Lord saves. It testifies to his work and his mission. And so here... Jesus, having been named on the eighth day, we move to verse 22. Between verse 21 and verse 22 is some five weeks. Some five weeks later, you have the circumcision first, eight days, and then some five weeks later, you have the presentation at the temple. This was done in order, as the book of Leviticus does, in order to purify the mother and the child. And in this scene, as they come to the temple, they bring sacrifices for the mother and for the child. And so this is happening here. They come to the temple into Jerusalem. And, and even from this scene, you begin to see uh, the beginnings of Jesus and his family and evidence of the fact that they were not very wealthy or rich or well-to-do. In fact, Leviticus chapter 12 tells us that when it's time for purification, you were to bring a lamb in order to that, for that to be sacrificed for the purification of the mother and the child after this. But there's a stipulation in Leviticus. 
It says you bring a lamb for this child unless you cannot afford a lamb. If you cannot afford a lamb, then you are to bring two pigeons or two turtle doves. And so here you see as they come in, they're not able to afford the sacrifice that it was called for. So they bring their two pigeons and their two turtle doves into the temple. I love how Mary and Joseph, you can only imagine, I've got four kids. You know, the fourth kid, we just basically just kind of say, y'all just do what you want to do. You know what I'm saying? Who cares? Just survive is all that you got to do. And then every once in a while, you ask somebody to check in on them. You know what I'm talking about? But that first kid, man, we had everything in order. We had the bags. We had all the stuff you need. You can literally spend a fortune on paraphernalia for your kids. You know what I'm talking about? And we had all of that. We made sure that everything was in place. We made sure we didn't forget appointments. We didn't forget anything. Sometimes now we go, oh, we forgot to get our kids a four-year-old checkup. And he's six now, so we better go get that. <laughs> you know? But now, but back then you knew you were ready. You were doing these things. And Mary and Joseph, imagine this. They're a young couple here and, 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 and they just had a baby and they've been told this baby is the son of God. They've had angels show up. They've had shepherds come. They're going to make sure they do everything as it is right, as it should be. And so not only that, testifying to the fact that Jesus, as Galatians 4 tells us, was born under the law to redeem us from the law, right? And so here they're making sure circumcised on the eighth day, purified on the very day he's supposed to be there, keeping the law, even though they can't bring the lamb, they bring what the law allows them to bring to make sure it is possible. And they are entering into the temple, surely nervous about this, surely uh, concerned having stepping out with this new baby and who he is. They're entering into the temple, making sure, wanting to make sure they do it right. And as they enter into this temple, this old man walks up to them, making sure they have everything, making sure everything is packed. As they enter into this temple, we get introduced to a character who shows up that same day. In verse 25, it tells us there was this man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. It tells us a description of this man. He was devout, devoted to God. He was righteous. In other words, he believed. This is a testimony to the fact that he believed the promises of God. He believed them so that he lived his life in light of them. Recognize always, brothers and sisters here, that when you believe, your life will reflect your beliefs. Whatever it is you believe, your life will be a demonstration of your beliefs. You see, beliefs flow into actions. It's impossible to say, I believe something and not act upon that thing. If you believe it, you will act it out. And so here's Simeon. He believed in the promises that God had given him. And here the scripture says, the scripture says that this righteous man who was devout had been given a promise. First of all, he had all, all of the Old Testament promises. He had all the promises that had come that there will be a Messiah who will come and he will save his people. He had all the promises that God had said that there will be great comfort coming even in the midst of darkness. He had all the promises in scripture that we even looked through in Isaiah and other places that gave him the testimony of the promise. But you see, Simeon had one step more here. Simeon had a personal promise that God had given him for it says the Holy Spirit was dwelling within him living within him and this Holy Spirit had said to him this Holy Spirit has said to them you will not die until you see the Savior and Simeon believed it he believed it 
You will not die until you see the Savior. And on this day then, it had been revealed to him, it says in verse 26, that he would not die before he sees the Lord's Christ. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up. Do you understand what he's saying then? This one who has come, he's been waiting on this, in comes the parents with this baby, and the old gentleman Simeon goes and snatches him from the parents, takes him up. Now, I love what the scripture says. The scripture says that Simeon has been waiting on the consolation of Israel. In this passage, as I said, it tells us all that Christ is going to do for us. Simeon's going to help us, not just who he is, but what is he going to do for us? And the first thing we notice is that this Jesus is going to bring satisfaction to his people. He's going to satisfy his people. He says he's waiting on the consolation of Israel. We may think that's a negative thing. Me growing up playing basketball most of my life, nobody wants the consolation prize. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That just means you lost. And so here we don't want that, but that's not what it means in this sense. To console someone is to bring comfort to them, to comfort them in a time of sorrow or pain. And this is the same word that's used even as we look back in Isaiah chapter 40. It's that same word where Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people. It's this consolation that is com coming. This Jesus would be the one who's going to come and comfort his people. Simeon's been waiting on this one. Remember what the scripture says when it says comfort, comfort my people. He's been waiting on that peace, that comfort that will come. This baby that Simeon sees in the temple, this is the one who will not break the bruised reed. This is the one who will not quench that smoking flask. This is the one who is going to love and care for his people in such a way that in their greatest turmoil, their greatest struggle, their greatest sorrow, their greatest darkness, this is the one who's going to bring light. This is the one who's going to save them and bring comfort to their lives. Comfort to people who were longing for something more. Simeon was this. He knew that this world did not have the promises he'd hoped for. He knew he could not find them in anything else he saw. He even knew, I'm sure, that those sacrifices that he made, while God accepted those, those sacrifices he made will never be enough. They were never ultimate. They were never final. He knew there was something greater coming. He knew those promises. Before we go too far here, when it says the Holy Spirit led him into the temple, Let's just remind ourselves, believer, if you're a child of God today, of your own story, how the Lord led you to a place, how the Lord puts you in the right spot to hear the gospel of Christ and find your consolation, right? Even as Kevin sung earlier, how we remember and we are thankful how the Lord led you to that spot, to that place so that you can hear that message and your, everything you had longed for, every comfort you have dreamed you could find, everything you had looked for maybe in this world and in this life, finally you had realized it's not in this world, it's not in this place, it's this one Jesus who you heard. And maybe it's the fact that today in this room, we could say that the Holy Spirit has led you here to hear this message of this hope, of this consolation that has come. Maybe that's the case for you today. It says that Zechariah 
seized this baby and took him up in his arms. Took the baby from mom and dad. I'm sure he had to get, her, get the baby out of the carrier and, and learn how to fold the thing back. I'm not sure how he knew though. I mean, how is it that Simeon comes in being led by the spirit? He knows the concept. He knows he's getting older. The scripture tells us this. And then he comes in and he sees this baby and he knows maybe, maybe that Mary and Joseph, he heard them talking, right? And maybe he heard them talking about it. And then they mention his name. Joseph, do you have Jesus? You know, can you hand him to me? Can you take Jesus out the carrier and hand him to me? Maybe Simeon heard this one's name. And what does his name say? The Lord saves. And there Simeon says, that's him. That's the one. The Lord saves. That's him. His name is Jesus. The Lord saves. That's the one. And led by the spirit, Simeon comes up and takes the baby into his hands. Either way, however he may knew, when the Holy Spirit calls the baby, as we remember in Elizabeth's stomach to jump, y'all remember that? Whenever uh, Mary came to Elizabeth and told her she was pregnant, the baby, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's belly, jumped and leaped for joy through the power of the spirit. So it is here. Whenever Simeon sees this same baby having entered into the room he jumps and leaps for joy in the power of the spirit and takes the baby in his hands and he begins to sing he begins to sing Lord now you are letting your servant depart and speak in peace according to your word in other words Lord you have kept your promises for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. As one commentator says about this verse, it's as if a slave who's been instructed by his master to keep watch through the long, dark night on a high place to wait for a special star or some light to appear. And then when it appears, you must announce it. And having waited there a long time, some wearisome hours over and over again, waiting and waiting and waiting, finally at last, that one sees that star, that, that shining bright light rising in all of its brightness and announces it and he's discharged from all of his duties. In other words, have you ever waited for something you wanted so bad, so long, and you finally get to that place where maybe it'll come, maybe it won't come, but you're, you're invested and you're waiting and you keep waiting and then finally you, you see it and they come. The comfort, the consolation has come. Now imagine taking all of this in. Imagine Mary watching this happen. This man, this older man, she had seen the shepherds come, she had seen them come to the, to the manger there and, and, and pray, heard their stories of angels. And now she's entering in just to present, doing her duty as a mother and a good uh, Hebrew mother. And she's entering in to present this child and the offering on him for, for him. Imagine taking all of this in. Now this older gentleman has taken her baby up, holds him up and begins to sing. And as this older gentleman is, is looking at her child, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. In other words, all I've ever hoped for has arrived. Everything I've been waiting on is here. Everything I've longed for 
has come, has come. A hymn that has always testified to me, one of my favorites. I probably would not quote a hymn up here if it wasn't one of my favorites, if that makes sense to you guys. Was by Clara Williams. The hymn's called Satisfied. Listen to the words of this hymn. Because maybe, maybe this is you this morning. Because I believe this is the same place Simeon had been. But maybe this is you this morning. Because I know it was me at one point in my life. All my life long have I panted for a drink from some cool spring. That I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Feeding on the husks around me till my strength was almost gone. Longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Poor I was and sought for riches, something that would satisfy. But the dust I gathered around me only mocked my soul's sad, my soul's sad cry. But then the refrain says, but hallelujah. I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longing and through his blood I now am saved. Maybe that is you this morning. Feeding on the husks around you. Panting for some drink of relief and consolation. Hoping for some satisfaction in your life because you filled your life up with so many different things. Thinking that would bring some joy. Thinking that would bring some satisfaction. You got a bunch of gifts yesterday thinking that would make you happy. But that happiness only lasted as long as the food was good. You're looking for something in your whole life because what everybody in this room wants, what everybody in this place wants is they want to find some satisfaction in life. And so what we do is we fill our life with this and with that and everything else. We're looking for some consolation. We're looking for some comfort. We're looking for some satisfaction. And what Simeon shows us is you can wait your whole life. You will never find it in this world. But when you find Christ, you have found it on. You have found it all. Hallelujah, I have found him. Whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings. Simeon proves this to be true here. As he says, hallelujah, I found him. Now this gives Simeon a very important implication. Hallelujah, I have found him. Now I can die happy. I can die in peace. In fact, you saw those Latin words for the titles of these, these songs. Nunc dementis is what this one is. And that just simply means depart in peace. Depart in peace. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, you may not, not, you may not realize it today. And I'm no expert. I've just been around a while and I know God's word a little bit. I'm telling you. What we as a people long for is satisfaction in life. We want to be satisfied. We want to be complete. We want to find consolation for all our weariness and our tiredness. We want that. And what we hope for is to be able one day to die in peace. Simeon found all of it in Christ. And I'm telling you, you can look anywhere else you want to. And you will never find it till you find it there. Till you find it there. Not only did this baby bring satisfaction, this baby brought salvation. Salvation to his people. He says, I've seen your salvation. He's looking at the baby. I've seen your salvation. What faith it took to look at this, this child, Jesus, 
The Lord saves and say, this is him. This is the one who's going to save. Looking at this baby. Here he gives great significance to this salvation. Mary's taking all of this in. I, I know this is the son of God, but listen to what he's going to do. This is the savior of the world. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. This is not just the savior of Israel. Mary may have thought that. Joseph may have thought that. This is not just the savior of his people. But as Isaiah says, it's too light a thing for this light to come just for the people. This light will shine throughout all of the world. This one who has come is not just coming to save Judah. He's not just coming to save Israel. This king is coming to save all peoples everywhere. That's why he's coming. He says he is not just a light that has come for Israel. This is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Now this was new to Mary, right? Y'all all Christmas maybe have been into some with your family, some controversy about whether or not Mary knew. There's a song about it. But what we know is surely she knew that this one who was born was born the son of God. She was told that by the angel. But did she know all that this one would accomplish? I'm sure as he, as Simeon is laying all this out, she's even shocked and surprised talking about her baby. Here he is. This one is not just going to save his people. He's going to save all peoples. All peoples. And how will he save them? He will save his people from their sins. He's not going to save them. He's not going to save them from foreign rulers. He's not going to save them from oppressive governments. He's not going to save them from other things like that necessarily. That's not what he came to do. He came to do something far greater. For foreign rulers and oppressive governments are here to stay and they're gone tomorrow, right? They come up in the morning, they're gone in the afternoon. Rome itself, the great, the great empire that they were under, didn't last very long even after Christ came. But in the fullness of time, what we've seen is the kingdom of God that will last forever. And so what you are hoping for is that you would be welcome into that kingdom in that place and the only way you can be welcome into that kingdom is for you to be saved from your sins and the only way your sins can be saved is by the son of God himself coming down taking on flesh becoming man dying in your place doing everything you could not do for yourself and as far as the curse is found he has reversed that curse for the glory of his name the kingdom has come and this is what he's saying he's saying that's for everybody this salvation that this baby brings, no small thing. This is for all who believe, all who trust, all who call on his name. This is why we go even now into the deepest and darkest places in the world. Why? Because we have a Savior who can save the deepest and darkest places. And we have a light to proclaim in those dark places that will cast out that darkness for all of eternity. We go there because of this. Simeon says, that's why he's come. This one has come. He's come so I, I, personally, I can depart in peace. God can give you that today. Personally, he can save you from your sins if you trust in him and believe in him, his person and his work. And you too can face death and say, it's no big deal really because Christ has conquered it. But he's also come for more than that. He's come to save all people who believe in his name. All people who believe in the person and work of Christ. He will redeem them and save them. It doesn't matter where you're from or what tribe you are a part of. Here Mary and Joseph are amazed at what they are hearing. 
For this baby will bring satisfaction to this old man who's been longing for him. And he will bring salvation to all peoples everywhere. That's what he's come to do. But third and last, he will bring satisfaction. He will bring salvation. He will bring the sword. After he praises them, Simeon turns to Mary and Joseph and said, I got a word for y'all too. He looks at Mary and says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. In other words, raising this child is not going to be very easy, if you will, Mary. This prophecy that Zechariah shows for the first time is letting Mary know, yes, you have the Son of God, but, but what you've already seen in the fact that there's no place for him in the end, nobody has welcomed you in, nobody has wanted you, what you've already seen, let me state a little more explicitly, this one will be opposed his whole life. In other words, suffering is going to take place, Mary, in order for these things to be true. In order for salvation to come to his people, suffering will take place. In order for, in order for uh, satisfaction to come to each and every one of us, suffering will take place. And up until this point, we've only been told of his glory and his greatness directly, his royal kingship, his divine lordship, the peace that he brings like no other. We've been told of all of that. We've seen a little bit indirectly of how the world world is going to treat him, casting him out and making no room for him. But now we have been told explicitly, we're told that the rejection that he had seen at birth would only continue throughout his life. He will see a sign that is, that is opposed. You will see this sign all through your life. And the reason why you know this is the child of God, the reason why you know this is the one to bring salvation is because people will not welcome him here. They will not welcome him here. The rejection at birth will continue and it'll only get worse. People will despise him. People will reject him. People will turn away from him. And they'll even take a stand against him that will lead to his death. And he makes this little parenthetical statement here. Mary, it's going to hurt. A sword will pierce through your own soul as well. For your child whom you love will be despised and rejected by men. The child whom you love, you will watch die at a very young age on a cross. The one whom you've seen do incredible and glorious things will not be welcomed here and he will be put to death finally and ultimately on the cross. That joy you experience is going to turn to grief and anguish. And man, for the first time, Mary and Joseph are thinking, what, what have we gotten into? What is this? The glory that the last couple days have shown now are turning to where Simeon says, look, it's not going to be this easy. It's going to be suffering and hardship. You're going to watch him die. It's going to pierce your very own soul, Mary. But how would he save then? If it wasn't for this, how would he save? Jesus would take the sword we deserve. Jesus takes the blow that 
we're supposed to have. And even while we're rejecting him, even while he came into his own and his own did not receive him, even while we mock him and turn away from him, even while we are doing all that, still yet he stays on task and on mission for he will save his people from their sins. He will not neglect what he came to do. He will go to the cross. And the very fact that he's being opposed and rejected is testifying to the fact that he is who God says he is. And he's doing what God said he was do and here he has come Jesus will be the one who will really expose what is in people's hearts Jesus will be the one that will cut down to the very depths of who we are separate out all the stuff that we don't like to to talk about at parties at Christmas right separate out all the darkness even in our own soul and our own hearts Jesus will be the one who will expose the very core of every single person and what will matter most is what they think of this Jesus he will be the rise and the fall of many he says Either he will be their cornerstone upon which they will build their life or he will be the stumbling block that leads to their eternal judgment. He will be the one they rise up on holding fast to Christ, knowing true satisfaction, joy, and life or he will be the one who they will find only judgment. Rise and fall of many, Simeon says. Every heart will be revealed by Christ, including yours and including mine there'll be no hiding it there'll be no hypocrisy there'll be no covering up there'll be no hoping that you can get through this and just pass the test on a whim every heart will be exposed i was looking at a couple things this week pew research tells us 75 percent of people believe the christmas story 75% of people believe he came the first time, in other words. They believe the Christmas story. But only 41% of people believe that he's returning again. 75% believe he came the first time, but only 41% believe he's coming again. Why is that? Maybe it's because we love presence more than we love being confronted by our sin. Maybe it's because we love what Christmas does for us, right? But what Christmas really does for us, whether you know it or not, Christmas testifies that no heart will be left unexposed by God. Christmas testifies that salvation has come and you either rise or you fall on this one who was born. Christmas has come that the hope that you're longing for is here and either you believe it, you trust it, and you live in Christ or you do not and you have no hope and you're helpless apart from him. Christmas is coming to separate those who love him and those who do not because the scriptures teach us that there's no middle ground, right? You are either a child of God or you are not. You're either a sheep or you're a goat. You're either on the narrow path or on the wide path. You're either going to heaven or you are not. There's no gray area in the scriptures. You're either God's child adopted into his family, receiving the blessings and glories of heaven, or you are not. Because Jesus has come to expose every heart. And no one escapes what he can do. He came to save the first time. He's coming back to redeem his people and judge the second. And so maybe we don't like that thought. The Bible teaches of Jesus' return in many places. 
Hosea 11, Joel 3, Amos 1. In each one of these passages, it says when he returns, he will roar like a lion. He will roar like, y'all know what a lion does. When a lion steps into the field, he comes in and he just roars. All he's doing is letting y'all know he's here, right? And then the reaction that comes. In fact, Hosea tells us that when the lion steps out into the field and roars, that his cubs come trembling back to him. And so it is with the Lord. He's given that picture. When the lion steps out and roars, he has returned. His children, his cub says, daddy's here, right? He's come back for me. And they tremble with excitement. They tremble with excitement. Maybe you saw this on Christmas morning with some of your kids. How much more so will each and every one of us tremble with excitement when our Savior returns for us, roars and says, it's time to go home. And here the lion steps out and he roars. And Hosea tells us his cubs tremble with excitement and they flee back to him. But what happens to all of those who are the enemies and the prey of the lion? You think they come running back to him? Here I am. Here I am. I've got a good argument why you shouldn't eat me, right? I've got a good plan on why you shouldn't devour me. I've got a good reason why. Would you just listen to this? No, when the lion steps out and roars, his cubs come fleeing back to him in joy because the comfort is here. The consolator is here. The one who takes care of his kids is here. And his enemies and his prey flee and they run. Scripture says that's how it's going to be when Christ returns. In fact, let me read a passage from Revelation for you. Speaking of the return of Christ, just listen to these words. When I looked, behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Already we can see why people like Christmas rather than they like this, right? The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand it? against him just as much as Luke chapter 2 and the birth of our Savior King is in the scriptures Revelation chapter 6 is in there as well and just as much as Christ came the first time for us he will come again and on that day it will be the rise and fall of many in fact I would say it will be the rise and fall of every single one of us in this room either when he returns we come rejoicing for our savior has come for us trembling with excitement or we flee to the mountains and say rocks crush us because that would be better than to face that one in his judgment that's what Christ coming for us ultimately means. Do we find our joy and our satisfaction, our salvation in him? Or we still try to find it in ourselves and in this world? When he returns, will we flee to him, excited to see our Savior face to face? Or we flee to the mountains 
every single one of us has to ask that question of our own lives. We have to ask it now. For just as sure as he came the first time, he will come again. Let's pray together. Father, help us by your grace and for your glory. Help us, God, to look to Jesus Christ as our Savior, our satisfaction, our Lord and our King. Father, we may have searched our whole life looking in different places, looking for different things, longing for different stuff, but in reality, Father, we hadn't found what we're looking for. We do everything we can sometimes, God, to, to not trust in Christ, to not put our faith in him. And in reality, God, it's only left us more hopeless and more helpless. Father, may it be today that every eternal soul in this room finds their salvation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Believing in him, trusting in him, looking to nothing else. And when they do, Father, may they feel that satisfaction, that abundant life that only you can give, recognizing, God, that if the whole world, if all of nature was theirs, it would be nothing compared to Christ. May every person in this room be able to say, Hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. May we all look to Christ alone. Father, thank you for the gift of a Savior. Thank you for the hope of eternal life. And God, just as much as we are excited about the fact that Christ came the first time, may we be excited about the truth that he will come again and make every heart in this room ready to rise with him and not fall by believing, by believing in Christ Jesus, even today. If you're here today and you need to believe in Christ, maybe for the first time, I'll be standing here to receive you. Join our church, we'll be here. We want to proclaim this Christ and nothing else. But for all of us, let's stand together and sing this.